Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome, everybody, to my Independence Report. I have got an extraordinary podcast for you today. We have got five young gentlemen, and we are going to be talking about current events, what's happening in the world, what's happening in their world, their perception of it, and how we can take their expertise and their passion to make our world a better place to be for all of us. And uh, with that, I'm going to introduce... I've got five guys on the line, the, uh, and they are Jordan, Isaiah, Z, Nigel, and Castile. I'm going to start with uh, Jordan Davis Miller. He's, his mother's been on the show, and she's an extraordinary young, man, young lady, and he is, I knew um, um, Jordan when he was three years old, and he was a really cool dude then. He's a better man now, and uh, you may have seen him. He was on, uh, if you go to, to Facebook, he uh, actually spoke during one of the protests, I believe it was today, so we're going to talk to him right now. Jordan, good afternoon. How are you, buddy? I'm great, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. I got to ask you, what's it like talking in front of, there had to be several thousand people there today. Uh, yes, sir. It was actually yesterday. Oh, it was yesterday. Uh, yesterday. Okay. Yes, sir. And so what's it like? Uh, you know, Kevin, it's uh, it's definitely a rush. Um, it's an, an incredible opportunity and a really good uh, feeling afterwards, but it is a huge rush before, but when things need to be said and things need to be done and the youth need to speak up, you know, I'm more than happy to do it. So it, it was really great experience. And, uh, it, it was, it was a really great opportunity. Well, and I have to tell you, you are, uh, one of the podcasts that I want to do in the future is to talk about your future. Cause it's extraordinarily bright. You are an actor, you are a singer, you're a songwriter, you are, uh, you are an uh, philanthropist you're a, a action guy you do a lot of a lot of really important things for our world today and uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself you're going to school um, down in LA and uh, you're taking a little break now and you're you're doing some really cool stuff so tell us about yourself a little bit yeah I um, I go to I'm 20 years old I go to a performing arts college called AMDA um, which stands for the American Musical and Dramatic Academy and I'm pursuing a bachelor's in fine arts um, and I'm hoping to become a professional actor uh, I, I enjoy writing poetry I'm I, I previously owned a DJ business in, in high school and I'm looking to get that back up again um, but yeah no I I just my whole life, you know, growing up, I've had two incredible parents, so they've given me a lot of opportunities and a lot of good perspectives, and I've had uh, a really great opportunity to use platforms to get my voice out and speak my mind and, and hopefully speak in the direction of progress, which uh, I believe I'm doing and which I believe I have, I should, I want to continue the opportunity to do. Um, so yeah, I am home from, due to uh, circumstances of COVID, and 
you know, with everything that's going on in the world, it would be wrong to stay silent, um, especially when it affects, you know, people I consider close family, um, even if they're not blood and family as well. So uh, I've just been trying to stay very active in my my voice and my actions and, you know, how I'm using my platform to get the message out that this, the actions um, that have been going on are not acceptable. They will never be acceptable and that we we are we are fed up with it. And uh, us young black men, as you guys will hear from fellow friends of mine, that we are incredible men that deserve um the same opportunities to to allow those uh, allow our 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 shine and our uh, our voice to be heard and and projected in the world and you brought to us and i thank you very much for that you brought to us four really cool young men isaiah z nigel and castile let's uh, let's talk to isaiah first isaiah welcome to the show how you doing thank you kevin thank you so much for having me i'm doing great Awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you Where'd you meet uh, uh, Jordan, and and who are you, and what are you doing? So, my name is Isaiah Austin. I am a 22 year old graduate of AMDA. I met uh, Jordan, my uh, fellow brother. Um, I was actually his residential advisor. I was his RA back in school uh, when he first came to school, and uh, from there it developed into uh, a great friendship and a great brotherhood. And uh, I graduated with a bachelor's in performing arts. I'm a singer, actor, dancer. Um, I like to kind of do most of the things that uh, Jordan just said. I like to give a voice to uh, my community, people who look like me, um, really involved. I'm, I'm from Hamilton, New Jersey, so I'm from the East Coast. Uh, I was born and raised in Jersey. Family, family guy. My parents instilled so many great values that I'm so fortunate enough to uh, having me. So with all of that being said, uh, it's times like this where I feel as though, uh, our friends and our voices and, and people like myself and who look like myself should be using the platforms that we have to, to speak out on the injustices that are going on today. You're an actual triple threat. That's what they used to call it in my day. <laughs> I would like to say so. I believe that God gave me a lot of different gifts. So it's not just about being this or that, but being this and that. Oh, perfect. That, that, that's just, that's just awesome. And, uh, welcome to the show. You, you're going to have a great big impact in our world and, uh, it starts today. And, and by the way, you're welcome to come on uh, my show anytime that you want. Um, and so appreciate the platform. Absolutely. Absolutely. So ho hold on there a second, Isaiah, we're going to talk with Z Abraham Z. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, also, let me know if, if you can hear me okay. You're great. Um, it sounds awesome. Awesome. Great. Um, yeah, so my name is Z. My full name is Zerbuk Abraham. And I was originally born in the Middle East of Africa, a small country called Eritrea. Uh, and I moved over here with my parents in about year 2005, 2004. Um, and yeah, and so I grew up with, I ended up meeting Jordan and uh, a bunch of the guys that are actually on the call right now, uh, early on in life throughout, um, middle school and then all through high school. Um, Jordan and I actually, the business, the business that Jordan was talking about, uh, we did that together, which was super awesome, uh, experience and for us being so young in the community. Um, and then, yeah, so currently I am a first generation college student. 
at the University of Washington, first in my family to attend a, a university, and I'm a double major in political science and finance. Um, and yeah, so I'm uh, rising to my junior year here, so getting uh, getting uh, pretty pretty excited for for what's to come. That that's that's just awesome. And the University of Washington is uh, my favorite school, and I love the Huskies. So um, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, and thank you for being here. And uh, the next the next gentleman I'd like to introduce is Nigel. Uh, Nigel, and I didn't grab your last name, so you need to tell us what that is. Of course. Uh, thank you for having me, Kevin. Uh, my name is Nigel Sudarkiso. Um Okay, that'll be just in, Nigel in case, for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it's a difficult one. I know a lot of people uh, struggle to get it, but it's one I wear with pride. Um, of course. Yeah. Um, I will say just as an introduction to my, you know, to myself, I similarly to Isaiah um, and Jordan, I go to AMDA, um, the American Music and Dramatic Academy. Um, I am also a family man. I I think, you know, this whole uh, debacle, I'd say, that's happening in America is is really about family and it's about, you know, taking into consideration people and, and what they do. But um, just to let you know more about myself, I was born and raised in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, I spent 18 years of my life there. I moved here in 2018. Um, and that's the thing. I've been coming through America my entire life because my fa- both my mother and my father are Americans. Um, but I was born and raised in South Africa. Um, and I met Jordan Davis Miller, a, a beautiful man, and uh, Isaiah on campus my first semester. And from then, you could just tell that these were these were esteemed gentlemen. These were you know men I was going to be close with for the rest of my life, and just people who had similar values to me. And yeah, since then we've we've kept our minds open and kept our hearts you know even more open and the conversations I have with these individuals are some that will carry me through this life. So. Oh, that's, that is just awesome. That is, so, so we got three thespians and I don't know, we'll, we'll need to talk to Castile and see, you may, we may have four thespians. Uh, Castile. Hey, what's up, Kev? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, well, sadly, I'm not a thespian. I'm not, not a performing arts major, but the other three. But uh, I was born in East Africa in Kenya. I lived down there for seven years of my life. Then I moved up to the States when I was seven with my mom. I lived in Georgia for a while. Then I moved to uh, Baltimore, Maryland for a while. Then we moved to Washington for a while. And, well, as long as I've been here, been here for about seven, eight years. And met Jordan, I think, middle school. And we met at a, actually at a choir concert and just, had a, just started chatting it up. And then turns out we actually lived a, a minute walk from each other. And since that day, we've just been brothers ever since. Currently, I'm attending um, a college in Los Angeles, it's the Pacific. And I'm studying to become a kinesiology major. I'm to become a physical therapist and help as much as I can. And that's why I'm here trying to get my voice heard because I understand a lot of people look like me and just outraged. And I want to do what I can to support and give back. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, young man. And and uh, I've got I've got a question that I'm going to ask each of you in turn, um, because 
in, in having, and by the way, this is the first time that I've met four out of these five gentlemen, and I have to tell you, I am thoroughly impressed with who they are as men, and I, it, it makes my blood just boil when I think of, because I've talked to, I've talked to Jordan's mother a lot, and she lives in fear because she is afraid for Jordan. Because every time he goes out into the world, something bad could happen. And it just, it, it's just beyond belief that, that in a country like this, the land of the free, we could have people who are living in fear of their fellow citizens. And so my question for each of you in turn, starting with Jordan, is, Jordan, how do you handle this, this mess that we're in? And what are your plans to correct it and help it into the future. Well, Kevin, you know, this is this racism and uh, the systematic racism and uh, segregation and all that stuff. Segregation still exists. Um, the segregation definitely still exists and it's, it's silent um, and it treads underwater. Um, so it thinks nobody can see it, but it is there and it is real. Um, so I, I definitely think that what is going on right now will be a martyr um, for further pursuits um, for these actions and for our voice and for these words. But uh, I, I do think that what needs to be happening right now is that, you know, schools, school people in power, people in power, primarily white people in power, um, but, but school systems, education systems, um, our government, our the city, the cities themselves need to look themselves in the mirror and see what they are doing wrong. I I, ju- I just looked at a video of three police officers taking their batons and beating a black gentleman who is literally just standing there and try to take it as much as possible. If you see that and you think that there is not a problem, and if you see that and you think that that is what the police force is used is is supposed to be used for you are wrong you your mindset is is not in the correct place and it needs to be it needs to be reevaluated and right now in the city of seattle what is happening right now is that people are protesting to defund the police by 50 percent um and because you can't you can't defund the police 100 percent because in the light of it the police are supposed to be for the people the police are not for the people right now. The police are the reason the people are in these situations right now. So the police need to be here for the people, and they need to mean that. They can't just say it. Mayor Durkin can't just say it. They need to be about it. Um, and that is across the board in every state, in every capital, and in every country. The, the, the police task is the police task force is for the people, to keep the people safe. And right now, the badge that police officers are donning is a is is a, a a sign of fear, a sign of injustice, and a sign that your voice does not matter. That is what the police task forces are standing for right now. They are not standing with us, but they have been standing against us. Now, Kevin, I tell you, I just I I had the the amazing opportunity for the community that I live in to to lead a march and a protest, um, and we marched for about thirty to forty minutes. Um, and we marched a couple blocks around, um, and we, we were accompanied by three wonderful police officers. And I just said to them, I said to them, and I said to the group, I said, 
I, I agree with the statement. Not all cops are bad cops, but what? But but this is how we progress, and this is how you take that statement and move forward with it. You turn to those officers that claim that they are good cops, and you ask them, "What are you doing to to see hear our voice and progress with our message?" I looked the cop in right in the eye that that I was that was with us today, and he was he was very nice, a wonderful gentleman, um, and I asked him. What are you doing today? Because I know, I know the fellow man and woman next to you in these badges. You you go to their family's barbecues. You hug their children. You you spend time with them. You drink beers with them. And if they are men and women that disagree with our statements, especially at this point, they are in the wrong. They should not don the badge. They are disrespecting the badge that we are supposed to that is supposed to be used as as a safety measure, and it's supposed to give us hope. It is doing the exact opposite, and it's because of people like them. And if they, if you are going to sit next to them and continue to drink your beer with them and continue to let them don that badge, you are in the wrong. You are not a good cop. You are not a good cop, and you are in no way helping us, and you are not standing with us. You are against us. And I understand it is hard to speak up. I understand it is hard to raise your voice, especially if you are a white man or woman or not a, a, a brother of color, um, because it is scary. It is scary. And that is also why I feel like this time is different because this time white people and non-people of color are saying, or non-black ladies and gentlemen are saying, I don't care if I'm, as I'm terrified to say this because it needs to be said. And if I'm wrong, correct me, but something needs to be said. My voice needs to be raised and, 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 and used, used as a platform because I am now accountable. I am now accountable for the lives that are being lost. And these are family members. These are friends. These are our friends. If Kevin, if you look at your, your fellow black man, if there's, if there's a gentleman that you can think of that comes to mind as a very good dear friend to you, sure. um, it, could, it could be him. It could be him next. It could be him next. And then don't, I don't want you to have to look at yourself in the mirror and said, and say, okay, now I'll speak up. Okay. Now I'll take action. No, it needs to be action needs to be taken years ago, years, centuries ago. It needed to be done, but it wasn't. And this is where we are today in 2020. So we need to do it now, and we need to make sure that fellow black women and fellow black men and fellow white women and fellow white men and every other, every other color and span and country needs to do the same thing. They need to look themselves in the mirror and say, what am I doing to progress for my fellow brother and for my fellow sister? What am I doing to make sure that their safety is of high priority to my country, to my city, to my town and my neighborhood. I couldn't. I couldn't have said that better myself, Jordan and Isaiah. Um, enter the conversation. How do you feel? Oh, I definitely think um, a lot of what Jordan said. Uh, I agree with. Um, I actually just posted on my Facebook about uh, how I was. Uh, my heart was heavy because I have a lot of, you know, teachers on Facebook and um, my teachers are really supportive. They support my art. Anytime I post a video of me singing, dancing, acting, anything like that, they're commenting, they're, they're sharing it. They're saying how proud they are. They're sharing it with their students who they currently have. But um, ever since this whole thing has been going on, I haven't seen a lot of teachers speaking up for a community that represents half of what their classroom looks like. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it has shown us that, the classroom is not only in the schools. People are learning and, and, and having class in, in, you know, in their houses, in their homes, 
And teachers need to realize that they're not just a teacher, an ally, a support system in the classroom, but out here in our world. So if any, if there was a time that we need teachers to stand up and use their voice and support their students, this, it's now. I think it's also important that we start having dialogues like this, having dialogues with our, our friends. I actually just called Jordan like yesterday or the day before and talked to him about one of our mutual friends who I feel as though isn't speaking up enough. And the fact of the matter is we can't progress unless we have those uncomfortable conversations. We have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to be able to address our brothers and sisters of different races and say, hey, I know you say you're my friend. I know you support my music, but can you support my life? I think the scariest thing for me as a black man when I seen and I watched the video of George Floyd was seeing him cry out for his life. And I realized, like Jordan said, that could be me. The only thing that is tying together with all of the victims who have passed away from, have been killed from police brutality, the only thing that's tying them together is the color of the skin. It doesn't matter if they're accomplished uh, African-Americans or if they're considered thugs in the, the eyes of the media or the government or the police. The only thing that's tying them together is their skin. So for me, that makes me a, that makes me a possibility. So walking out of my house, my mom has that same fear. What if it's me? What if it's my brother? What if it's my sister? So I think it's important for us to have that dialogue. But the only thing that will help us progress is to have this dialogue. That's my take on it. I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, I, and I said on a podcast yesterday, that um, if I walked into a store and the clerk looked at me, a 62-year-old short, fat, white guy, and I, I passed him and gave him a $20 bill, and he didn't think it was real, and so he called the police. You know what would happen? The police would come, and we'd have a conversation about that bill, and we would talk about it, and then we would uh, um, it would not have ended anywhere near the same way that it did for George, and that's that's criminal. That that is just not the way that we are meant to be as human beings, as together, as as one. Because it it amazes me that he went through what he went through, and died right there in front of us, and people everywhere should be outraged and should be concerned and it's time for us to make some important changes i agree with both of what you're saying z what's your take on this absolutely uh, thank you kevin so i i 100 agree with with everybody uh so far and i think uh first and foremost i think with with anything really but specifically on this matter i think uh something that's very strong uh, to get to get a change and get a, something positive uh, as an outcome is definitely like shifting everybody's mindset in terms of uh, having more of like an empathy uh, mindset versus sympathy because I think when you know when 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 stuff like this happens you know and and especially nowadays when it's recorded um, everything's online you see it you know it's not just a story being told I think a lot of people I think it's fair to say a lot of people. Uh, have sympathy or they feel bad, you know, and that's like, you know, they, they feel bad and then they go about and live their normal lives the next day. Um, where, and I think, I think that's, that's where really part of the problem is, is people are feeling bad and they think, Oh, you know what? It's just like, it's just, it's just a story, but it's, it, I'm okay. Like I'm, I, that won't happen to me because you know, like 
that's that's just not my narrative. It's not in my uh, whatever. Um, and I think something that will really change people's mindset overall is, is is having that empathy and thinking, you know, like uh, putting into perspective. If I'm a white father with, you know, set whatever how many kids and you know affluent middle class, whatever you want to call it, and and instead of you know reading this a story like this and thinking, oh, like you know, what what a damn shame, you know, like that guy died. I'm not saying you know he. Yeah, at that moment, he's not racist. He's not, like, you know, supporting the police in any way uh, by by simply feeling sympathy. But I think uh, what what really matters is having the empathy and thinking, um, well, what if, like, you know, what if the issue really was, like, all these, like, white um, children were being killed by predominantly, like, mostly black cops? Like, what if that was a narrative? And I was in the situation of, of that parent that's losing their kids that parent that has to worry every time my kid uh, leaves the house to go to a gas station, to go do whatever, you know? And, and I think that will really change, change some people's perspective because um, ultimately that's what gets people thinking. Everybody's comfortable with what they know. Um, and, you know, I have discussions like this a lot with, with pretty much anything, um, especially on this because it's so heavy. Like the only way people are going to change is putting themselves in other people's perspectives because at the end of the day, you can feel as bad as you want for black people or whoever, whoever's oppressed in any, in any situation, but you, you, you're, not, you're never going to fully understand what they, what certain people are going through in like, you know, the different, uh, through different events. But I think, I think at least that effort of empathy will really show, will show your growth um, by, by understanding um, at least the, the, the perspective they're coming from, you know, uh, the point of view is everything because um, you can't simply just feel bad. And then I think that leads a lot to, that'll lead to later on, you know, a level of, of, of accountability and feeling uncomfortable. Um, and like we were talking about having those uh, uncomfortable conversations and, you know, cause that, that's really where the, that empathy lies in because, you know, you can, you, you can have those conversations of just feeling bad, but that really doesn't solve anything. You think you're solving something by just sharing a, you know, the same perspective with others that are like-minded and being like, yeah, this is really, this is a fucked up situation. And then that's it, you know? And that, that, that conversation doesn't go anywhere. And then if anything, it just makes you feel good because you talked about the event or you talked about what was wrong um, and you didn't change anything. That's part of the problem, really. You know, of course, there's people that are uh, blatantly racist and, you know, the redneck this and that. Like we, everybody knows who they are, but the bigger problem is the majority of the people, the, the, the average man or average woman that's, that's not inherently racist, but they're not doing anything about it to change the stigma, to change what's going on. And so this level of empathy, I think, is very important. Um, and then eventually having this you know, level of accountability in all of our social constructs about you know, what people are doing and who's going to hold them accountable you know um and, and and i think we need to redefine what that really means because a lot of people are saying oh well cops are wearing cameras okay well cameras are not really the issue we see like there's video like there's i don't understand with this case with the specific george floyd case there's a video of him being executed in public like there, there, there can't really be any like much more evidence than that you know in terms of pure solid evidence but um, it, it's not just like visually seeing. It's the level of accountability within that. Why did that cop feel that way? Why did the other cops not feel like they had to step in um, and and they think this cop was in the right, et cetera? And, you know, like it shouldn't have gotten to that extent. 
um, a real system would have had cops, uh, the, the fellow cops that were with him, step in and be like, you know what, um, I think you're doing this wrong. I'm going to hold you accountable. Um, although we're in the same position right now, I think you're, I think you're in the wrong, and I'm going to fix it before it gets bad. That should be the mentality everybody has in whatever, in whatever uh, social construct we're talking about. Um, and that can only come with uncomfortable situations. And, you know, when you're in that situation, you don't want to tell your fellow colleague or coworker or whatever that they're wrong. You know, that's uncomfortable. But, but that's the only way we're going to see change. And I think, uh, and I agree with everybody, we definitely have to have more of these types of, more of these types of narratives and conversations and get people uncomfortable and have more of these, you know, the rights that are coming, um, the points of reflection, and just overall like broadening our perspective on everything, you know, even if you're not directly affected, you should care because this is the world we live in and this is the new now, like this is normal, you know, this is what's going to continue to happen if something doesn't change and whether you like it or not, like this is reality and really what's going to, what's going to test who, who we all are is how we react to things like this and what we do inherently. Um, so yeah, so I guess those are my two cents on that. <laughs> well, and, and I'll tell you, um, I am absolutely, uh, appalled and astounded that there are people that could look at that video and say, well, you know, he must've done something wrong because the cops just don't do that. Well, my friend, yes, they do. Um, and that, exactly that needs to stop that bullshit needs to end because that's just not who we are. Uh, Nigel, it's time for you to chip in here. What, what, what are your thoughts? I will say, Kevin, um, this conversation is one that has needed to have been had, I think from the beginning of, of this country's history. Um, and I think just like Isaiah Jordan and Z noted, um, it comes down to education and enlightenment. Kevin, um, I think as like the future of this country, we, we have to restructure and rebuild the foundation, which, you know, which is the youth. I mean, the people who lead this world into the future is who we need to be targeting and, and making sure that they know what happened in this country. And, and that means teaching history in classes to everybody because people aren't willing to have the conversation these days. And I think it, it's holding us back. You know, it, personally, I, like you can't, and I, I say this all the time to anyone who knows me and, and hears me speak about history, but you cannot change the future if you do not know the past. That is like a, 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 a motto I live by. And empathy and, and sympathy, they're given in history. And that's how, why you need to learn, you know, how to use it and, and learn history because they'll teach you what you need to know. And, you know, when, when, when you break down everything that's happening in this country, the, the moral of the story is peace. So, you know, people are, are watching these protests and, and considering them violent riots. They're missing the pain and they're missing the, the hurt behind our struggle. We're, we, are, we are individuals and we are community that has been hurt so much and we're tired that and that is what's driving these protests it's just people and that's what it comes to it's just people and this is a time like no other the world is witnessing uh, a civil rights movement that is is calling for unity we're we're calling to be one i and, and that's so interesting to hear an you know an anti-protest you're protesting someone's protest 
when our protest is for equality. So you're literally protesting against equality. You are stopping someone from being able to be on the same level as you simply because you're not used to it. And that is the problem. People aren't having this conversation. They're, they're afraid to have the conversation because they think that the way they've learned and, and the way they've you know, gotten used to the world will change good. When you think about this world, there isn't too much greatness that has happened in the past that's been like, this is exactly what needs to stay. We are supposed to be building upon the foundations, not living on them. That is, that is the whole point of, of what's going on that makes everyone so, you know, so upset. This, this, you know, these protests are not about black and white. This is about discrimination and, and hatred and how we will not stand for it anymore. You know, and we don't want it for anybody. This isn't, you know, we, we have labeled it and called it rightfully the Black Lives Matter movement because that is the, the people who have been, you know, violated throughout history. But we are not alone. We stand for so much more than people, you know, than what people are, are watching and, and considering for themselves. You see, we are, we are fighting to be equal and prosperous hand in hand with those around us. So we will fight and, and we will voice our minds until we begin to see a change in the world. And that's the thing. We, we, we want to love. We want to love this country, but we haven't been given the opportunity to do so. You know, we, we are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, children of this country. We all bleed the same. We all cry the same and we can all smile and laugh the same. You know, the, the future changes with us. And um, as, a, as a quote that I, I heard our former president say, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And I think that that is the point. There, there is no blaming anybody for, you know, this is this and this is this. This is just, let's change it. We have a problem with the world. Let's fix it. And that is what's going on. So, you know, we are the future and the future is united. So if you're against unity, then you're against the future of this country. I Personally, have, that's, that's how I feel. Well, that's, the, Nigel, that's awesome. Because I have to tell you, uh, I, in talking with the five of you, this country is in really good hands we're going to talk more about that but first i want to talk to castile what's your take on all this castile well yesterday i was talking with jordan's dad and he asked me how i was feeling about everything i was feeling like the only word that come my mind was just tired i'm emotionally and mentally just drained of being part of a 300 year plus war a war that should not have should not still be going on and i'm also tired of it being a cycle as Eric said it's we see a black man get gunned down, black woman get gunned down, black child get gunned down. And then there's a small rally of people fighting, and the next thing you know, it blows by. And then the same thing happens. Somebody else is gunned down. We rally, and then we blow by. And it's, as people are treating it as if it's a trend, in reality, it's people's lives. And it's a lifestyle that a lot of black people are living, and we're trying to fight for it. And people are just watching it blow by and think of it as a trend. And I'm tired of it. I, well, this needs to stop. We were looking. I saw a post, and it was talking about this the biggest, biggest rally that the civil rights movement has ha ever had since all 50 states are involved. And I'm very happy about that. But I feel like we can't settle with that. We need to keep applying pressure to the issue because if there's no pressure put in the issue, if people are not made to feel uncomfortable, nothing will change. Change does not come with comfort. 
it comes to uncomfortability. Being forced to move, being forced to change. That's the only way we can do it. And it's so hard looking at my little sister and worrying that she might get, one of her toys might get mistaken by a weapon and she might get wrongfully done down like Tamir Rice. It's, I'm mad and tired of leaving every day and my mom worrying that that's my last time she might see me because I might get pulled over and a police officer might mistake me for the criminal or think I'm threatening him. And it's just, it's all tiring that the people we're supposed to be calling when we need help are the people we, we can't anymore. Like I'm, I would, I'd be scared to call a police officer if anything happened because I'm scared he's going to come to the scene, look at me, and automatically assume that I'm doing something wrong. And in, my, in me trying to defend myself, I'd get hurt or something. I'm just tired of it. It's time for a change. And it's very, it's very unnerving looking and seeing on Facebook all these people we grew up with. Me, Jordan, and Zebra, we grew up in a very diverse neighborhood in Everett. There's a lot of black, Mexican, Caucasian, Asian people. And growing up, I'm thinking a lot of these white people, or at least the ones I hung out with a lot, understood where we're coming from in the part of us. But with all this going on, you see a lot of people really showing their true colors. A lot of people aren't sharing and being protest. A lot of people are sharing, but they're sharing the wrong thing. Talking about how we're going about this the wrong way, or how we're not doing it right. Like, and realistically, they can't really tell us how to fight back because they don't experience what we do. I fully support anybody who's willing to sit there and stand and support us. I understand that, but sitting there and telling us we need to stop doing what we're doing or the cops is right, something like that, that is not okay. Because you, you don't have to experience what we experience every day. We don't, you don't have to worry that if you walk in a grocery store, you'll be followed because they think you're stealing. Or they'll have a cop called on you because they just mind your own business. And it's just unnerving seeing people you thought that had your back or were with you not sharing. I saw a post talking about how that officer who could who killed George Floyd, they both actually knew each other and worked together. That goes to show you that some people that you think are there for you in today's society could have a complete ulterior motive and that's sad. That's something we need to change. And like everybody else was saying, it all stems education educating. And I just want I'm proud of seeing all the people who are sharing and fighting the same now because that social media is a huge influence. And by sharing all the things you're sharing, you are educating people. And I slightly get upset and sad when I see people post, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, unfriend you. Because in all reality, as one of my friends said, if all the people who are seeing the content agree with you, the message is not being sent out to people who don't need to hear it. You need those haters, you need those disbelievers, people who would not agree with you to hear your message because you don't even know your message could, could change, spark a change within them, and that's what we need. And I'm happy to see all the different communities coming together right now and helping support, but we need more. We need more. And it's just unnerving seeing the people who are supposed to protect us, the police officers, right now, they're not here to protect and serve. They're here to control and patrol. They're not trying to help us. They're here to terrorize us. I saw a picture of a rally, a, pro- a peaceful protest going down to Seattle. And police officers were breaking water bottles, destroying food because they needed protesters to leave, who were peacefully protesting. So instead of finding a better way of getting them to leave, they're destroying medical centers, places to get nourishment and stuff like that. And I also saw another video where protesters were speaking of mind and talking to police officers. No violence had occurred. And if one police officer starts mason, then you see the whole line of blockade of police officers mason the group. And I'm tired of seeing this. You have people trying to speak their mind and police officers are sitting there oppressing, each, oppressing us and trying to shut us up. And I don't see how they really expect protests to stay safe when and 
and play, stay civil when there's attacking us. People are tired of being bullied and tired of being put down. We're, it gets to a point where you know, you're more mad than you are scared. You're no longer scared of the police, but mad at what they're doing. And you just, you're, you're done being scared and you want to fight back now. And that's, how, that's why things are getting bad, because people, police officers are instigating and people are fighting back. And I'm not saying that police officers are starting anything. I understand there are bad people out there who are giving the police a bad name, but the police officers are not helping. They're not helping when somebody is simply explaining how they feel and they reach for their weapon. When you grab a weapon, that's not de-escalating any situation. That's just putting the nerves, increasing the nerves in the situation and making people more uncomfortable and more fragile. And police officers don't understand that. And like how Zerbuk said earlier, it's all about accountability. There's a lot of officers out here who don't keep each other accountable. And I honestly do not feel safe around police officers anymore. I understand there's good cops out there, but what if a patrol car pulls up on me and there's a good cop and a bad cop? I'm, and the bad cop decides he needs to attack me in some way or form. And I have no, no faith that that so-called good officer is going to turn his brother in because that is what it, a cop is. It's like a brotherhood. They're all brotherhood. They're always going to be stand for each other and fight for each other. And it's so hard believing that good cops nowadays will turn bad cops, making it all bad cops, to be honest. And I'm just, I'm worried about our future. If we can't get anything changed, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about having to talk with my kids. Tell my kids, if you see a police officer, just mind your business. Don't, frankly, don't act black. Like, I'm worried about having a conversation. I'm black and I'm proud. But if it's my skin color is going to cost my child's life, man, I, I don't even want to think about that. My sister's like, I don't even want to think about that because it shouldn't be like that. And no, it's it a shouldn't. shame that that's, that's what we're living through right now. And I just have, I have, I don't know, that's, it's sad to see who we're heading because the people who are supposed to call for help are the people we're most scared of right now. Well, Castillo, I got to tell you, you can't be tired because you got a whole bunch of work ahead of you because ahead of all of us, because in my opinion, and I'd like your guys' opinion on this, I think we have to, we've got to change virtually everything. We've got to change the criminal justice system to make it more fair and more equitable. We have to change the educational system. We have to make sure that kids are getting hope. I see a lot of people that don't have any hope out there because they have been beaten down. Their their families have been beaten down for so many years and generationally speaking that they don't think that they can get the American dream because the American dream predominantly has been a white thing and that's got to change that's got to stop the healthcare system has to change there are more people of color dying of uh, covid than there are of of white people and it's because of the lack of 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 health care that they've got we've got to change all this stuff if we're going to have a hope of getting uh, of moving forward as a country and moving together i did have a question for each of you though um the last time i got stopped by a policeman was 20 years ago okay i'm not a perfect driver but it was and i was speeding but it was 20 years ago and it was a motorcycle cop and he stopped me i didn't think i should have been stopped so i jumped out of my car and started walking towards him i would like your guys's opinion first of all when was the last time you got stopped and for what if you don't mind me telling asking me and uh, um would you get out of your car and start walking towards a cop uh, jordan let's start with you Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Um, so I've only been stopped by a police officer once um, in my life, thankfully. Um, but 
it was in the worst circumstance possible. Um, and it was, it was in Mokopio. And I was, the ironic thing was, I was going to speak at the, uh, this is when I was doing public speaking during uh, high school, my senior year. Um, and I was going to speak at Kamiak High School for their civil rights assembly. Um, and it was early. So it was probably, it was around, I believe, like 640 or something like that because I had to be there early because there was two assemblies and it was in the morning. Um, but I just bought bought a coffee from Starbucks and I was pulling out of the, pulling out of the, pulling into the intersection and uh, it's a hill down and right in the middle of the hill is the start of the school section. Um, so it's a reduced speed section. So as I was pulling out, I was still, you know, taking a sip of my coffee, uh, making sure I handle that as I, as I drive and put it down on the cup, um, cup holder. Um, and I was going too fast cause I was just, I was just cruising on, cruising on the, uh, brake and I wasn't pressing down hard enough. So I was going a little bit faster than I should have been. Um, but as soon as that happened, an officer pulled up behind me and, you know, I pulled over into a neighborhood. Um, and I can tell you, Kevin, uh, this is, you know, my senior year of high school. And just an instant amount of dread and fear filled my body. And it was because of two things. One, because this is a police officer. And two, three things, excuse me, three things. One, it was a police officer. Two, I am in a primarily white neighborhood. Um, and, and three, this, it was the first time. I, I'm an African-American man, and this is the first time I've ever been pulled over, and I didn't know what to do. Um, and I was shaking. I was shaking, Kevin. I'm telling you, I was, sh- I was shaking um, just because I, I feared for my life. And this is after, this is after you know, all of these, this death and murder, hearing about Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin was much earlier than that, but that was the first thing I thought of. Um, I was like, holy shit. Excuse my language. That's all right. Um, I would have done yeah. the same thing. Yeah, but no, I was like, holy shit. Um, I'm getting pulled over, and I was looking... I I dared look into my um, mirror. It was a white cop, um, so I didn't know exactly what to do. So I set my hands on the dashboard of my truck, um, and I was just trembling. And I and I, I I when he walked over, I you know I, I made sure he saw my hand as I lowered the the window, um, and we we had a brief conversation. He he was he was very polite, very nice. Um, but that's the thing. Uh, after the altercation, I, I sat in my truck for, for a minute and I I processed the whole events that went on and it that's that's the problem. That is the exact problem is that I I I I could not breathe in, in those moments. I could not breathe in those moments because if I did something wrong, it could revolve in the end of my life. It could, excuse me, not revolve, but it could, it could, uh, it could come to an, it could, excuse me, it could, it could lead up to the end of my life right there in a white neighborhood where, where I, I didn't know a lot of people. Um, I didn't know if, if anybody was close and, and I could, I could easily been laid to rest right there. And I didn't know if anybody would have cared. Um, 
So it was it was a terrifying experience, and it's ter- and it's it's disappointing because he was a very nice man, but he was probably he was the most terrifying thing um, I had experienced my senior year of high school, um, and as a, as a student, and I I that's and that's going to speak for all all walks of, of kids of all ages that are that are black, um, because I'm sure when they when they meet the face of a, of a officer. It is probably one of the most terrifying things that they have to to see and, and and experience, and they have no idea the man's background that 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 walks behind that badge. But it is absolutely terrifying to come face to face with with somebody like that and know that you're an African African American man, um, and, and you could be you could be walking on on your own deathbed. Absolutely, except except uh, if something bad were to happen to you, your mother. Your your mother's like a little little <laughs> bear. She she, she go after up. him. Yeah 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 no she yeah I love my mama but yeah, yeah. no it's it, it's a scary it's it's a scary life to live. I understand Isaiah. How about yourself? Well, what I want to say when you told your story about you getting pulled over, my eyes literally jumped out of my head. I'm like, you got out the car and you started walking towards the officer. Like I can't even imagine. I was scared for you, and I, it, I wasn't even there. I can't even imagine getting out the car. I can't even imagine walking, yet alone, yet alone walking towards the officer. Um, I've been pulled over twice in my life. Luckily, both times my parents were with me. My mom, my dad was with me the first time I had my permit, um, and that one I was coming around the corner too too fast, and the officer was just like, uh, you know, take it easy. And when, once you see my dad was in the car, he was actually talking to my dad more than he was talking to me. Um, second time maybe a couple of years ago i was with my mom and we were following my aunt whose husband my uncle is a police officer and we were heading to her her house coming we were leaving the store or something and uh we were going to a neighborhood that was predominantly white and uh i knew for for a fact that i didn't do anything wrong so when i seen the lights behind me i was like okay all right my mom is like immediately goes into a frantic like she whips out her phone and she's like <laughs> like turn her camera on just in case and I'm like mom what are you doing like she's like you never know like just like where's your let me get your information out for you like she's just and I couldn't look back then I could not I couldn't imagine or like wonder why she was doing all of this yes I understand what's going on in the media but I'm just like mom I didn't do anything wrong but looking back at it I'm like I could only imagine what she was going through in that moment because as you've seen in the media it's you don't have to do anything wrong so uh, luckily, my uh, my aunt when we went back to the house, she was like, I, I was on the she was on the phone with my uncle who was a cop and just like letting you know giving him a play by play of what was happening and just making sure everybody was on the same page. Um, my aunt let the uh, the cop know who you know pulled me over and let gave him like my uncle's badge number and and all that stuff. But yeah, it, it was terrifying for my mom. And that in that scenario, I wasn't too terrified um, just because I knew nothing. I did nothing wrong. Um, but you can never be too sure. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's my take on that, that situation. And, uh, Z, how about yourself? Have you been, uh, um, pulled over a bunch or, or how is it when you have been pulled over? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the most <clears throat> recent time I got pulled over, I believe was in high school. Um, cause in college, I don't drive too much. Um, but I like, I guess 
like I wouldn't say my experience itself um, was. Okay. I guess I would say mostly I share the same uh, the same feelings as as, um, as Isaiah and Jordan because uh, when I did get pulled over, so I guess I'll give a quick back, background. Um, I was pulling out of the Fred Myers, and uh, this was in uh, Everett, and um, there was it was like I think it was midday during sometime during the weekday, so there wasn't too many cars. In fact. The highway that I ended up uh, taking a free ride on was like pretty much empty, uh, at least going my my side of the of the highway. And uh, for anybody that knows or familiar with the area, you know Highway 99 usually like never empty. Um, and uh, needless to say, so I you know I, I I was just going about my normal day, and then I saw like from when I pulled out of the uh, Fred Myers, there was a cop that pulled out at the same time. Um, and then when I took the right, he also took the right. Um, and, you know, like, I wasn't thinking too much of it because I was like, you know, I, I have, of course, like, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm, I'm totally fine. Um, and then, like, I think I just started to worry as soon as, like, he also took that right um, onto the highway because, you know, you know, you, you hear about these stories. You see all these uh, horrific things of, 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 of what um, police do to, to, um, to, African Americans, specifically male, that were not never that weren't in the wrong to begin with, like end up getting pulled over, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess I think I was at that point I was kind of getting ahead of myself in thought, um, and I guess like that's the sad part, you know. I was worrying before anything even happened, and so I just tried, told myself to calm down, and I kept looking in my rearview mirror, kept looking back to the uh, front of the front of my of my dash, um, and then you know I just tried to continue on until he ended up like flashing his lights to pull me over and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I'm the only person here. Um, there's really no one on the road. This is just like terrible timing. I don't even know what I did at this point. This is like pretty much um I wouldn't I'm not gonna say worst case scenario, but getting pulled over for like that was kind of my worry that whole time. Um and so I made sure I was driving slow and all that and and, and then I guess like that didn't work. So I get pulled over, I um call, and first off uh, Kevin, I would never uh, dare to get out of, no matter what I did, I would never dare to get out of my car and uh, walk towards the police. Because that's, you know, in my mind, at least, that's, you know, it, no, I did, that's a death sentence, you know. In the world we live I in, did, I, did, I, did not, I did not get out of the car. I did not, I just want to clear that up. I did not get out of the car. That is definitely a death sentence. <laughs> not for a black Jordan, I'm, talk, I'm talking about Kevin, bro. <laughs> oh. Oh well, yeah. Okay, my I'm bad. Not, I'm not the smart. I'm not the I'm smartest glad, bulb I'm in the world. Oh no, yeah, no, Kevin. Yeah, that's a that's a death sentence for a black man or woman. <laughs> I I can I, I, I can believe it. Um, um, now that was Z, right? So Nigel, have we heard from you yet? Um, I, I'll just say similarly to everybody when you said that you know about getting out the car my jaw dropped i was like (laughs) but um personally um i have never been driving when i was pulled over or when we were pulled over but i have been in the the car uh with a friend of mine who was white um a white male um but it's just you know what i found interesting about the whole you know circumstance was as soon as you see the lights, there is an immediate kind of, you know, shock that runs up your spine. And what's so terrifying about it is you don't know why at first, like you, you, you know, we, we, 
process this information about the videos we see online and the stories we hear and, and the things we know, but fear comes instantaneously. You, you, you don't necessarily have a second to think about why you're afraid. You're just afraid. And I mean, th that was the thing. I was sitting in the, in the car seat and my friend next to me is, is relaxed. He pulls over, you know, he's, he's talking to me normal. And I'm, I'm in such a state of like shock that he's even like, what's wrong with you, man? And I just, I, you can't, like, you can't get the words out that you're trying to, to, you know, say, but it, it really is, you know, when you, when you think about people getting pulled over, that's a matter of minutes, but in those minutes, those could be your last minutes. And, you know, as Jordan was saying, I think one of the, one of the biggest fears is you didn't say goodbye to anybody. That's that is heartbreaking. You didn't say goodbye because you didn't know those were going to be your last few minutes. And it's, it's horrible to think about the people who are supposed to be protecting you. And that's the craziest thing. You know, we, you know, to the, to the black man, to the black person in America, the cops don't represent safety like they're supposed to. That is the whole idea of a police officer. I'm supposed to feel safe when this person's around to us. It's terrifying. Because in, in a matter of seconds, the, the, the good deeds you've done, the, the, the esteemed nature that you've tried to build for yourself goes out the window and you are just viewed as a criminal. And that's the crazy, you know, it, to, to process that information in your mind is something I don't think anybody should ever have to go through purely based on what you look like. You haven't done anything, but immediately you fall into the category of a criminal and that word is so criminal bad that like that that you know bad terrible these are synonymous so when you think of yourself as a criminal based on the fact on an interaction that hasn't even happened yet when you see that police officer heading towards your car that is the feeling of of pain and hurt that i that we were you know discussing earlier that is what makes people so terrified because you don't know what's going to happen. And honestly, to get out the car and start walking towards the police officer, as Jordan said, that, that is a death sentence. That's like, okay, you know, here, here's my, here's the being I've tried to be for the last however many years you are. Because at this, at this point, you could be, it's any, it ranges, you could be any age and you'll still get treated the same. And that's the thing. It, it, it's, it's a crazy, crazy experience to ever have. And I hope no one ever has to go through that again. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Castile? Yeah. Um, the experience I'm remembering, I wasn't really pulled over. I was hanging out at a park. And fair enough, it was later. It was around 8 o'clock, so it was getting darker. And I was hanging out at a park by myself. I had some issues, so I went to just get, clear my head. And I had about three officers in three separate patrol cars. Coming around my, coming around my car. Well, I, I was I was drinking a slushy and eating a sandwich, and one of the officers were coming towards the car, and my first thought was, because I was in my mother's car, I was like, let me reach for the door because I, my window didn't roll down. And right before I grabbed the door handle, I was like, I can't because immediately I thought of Rodney King. I was like, if I open this door, I step out this car, it could really end terribly. So I just waited and waited for the officer to get there and just roll my window down, and. He started questioning me, saying that somebody called him a suspicious black man, 
doing drugs in by the parking lot. And he asked me if I had any drugs in the car. He wanted to search my car. I said, I have no drugs in here, but I, I don't think this should search my car because I don't have any drugs in here. And I pointed out my slushie and my sandwich. And he looked around and he just kept on telling me that he shouldn't be out here. And that somebody had called in that suspicious black man was out here doing stuff. So, yep. And then he just, he had me going on my way. But just the fear of him and seeing three, two other officers, so a total of three officers coming this around my car, really sent a shockwave through me. Because I was wondering, if I panicked more and decided to open that door, only Lord knows what happened to me. My so goodness gracious. Terrifying me. And like, like, I'm pretty sure it was Nigel who said this, that seeing the life of a cop car nowadays, it doesn't mean liberty or freedom anymore. It means you might, you might, this might be the last thing you see. It might, you start thinking about everybody who cares about your emotion and this might be the end of it. And that's, it's a shame that that's what we have to think about when we see the red, white, and blue. That is just fundamentally wrong. That, that you guys, to, to a person, you should not be afraid of the police and that's the situation we find ourselves in i would like to first of all i want to congratulate each of you you are all just really cool dudes and and you've got great futures and i'm looking forward to doing more of these because i would love to do more of these with you if you guys are open to it uh and we can talk in depth about more things we're coming to the end of our time together today but i do want to give each of you just a moment just give me like uh, 30 seconds of what change do you see that we need to make now and i'll i'll start by saying uh, there are two things that needs to be done immediately and that is independent investigation of these acts by police officers and the elimination of chokeholds if those need to be gone like yesterday and if a policeman uses a chokehold on somebody they should be in jail uh, that's that's my take on that to begin with. I've got a lot more to say, and I would like us to be able to do that some more. So, but uh, um, uh, Jordan, uh, give me thirty seconds. What what do you think? Yeah, Kevin, I just got a question for you. Yes, for sir. a single man, for a single man to be called on by a police officer, how many how many police officers would you consider excessive? Uh, two. <laughs> two. I yeah. Well, then, I, Kevin, you're underestimating. You're underestimating because as Castile said, um, he said that I believe there's three cars, three cars worthy of police officers. Um, and you see in, in many other instances that, you know, they bring the cut. An officer brings everybody and his mama to, to the party just because of one black man or a group of black men. Um, see, so I would just like to say, I would just like to say that, uh, you know, that definitely needs to be looked at. Um, and, you know, the time that police officers spend to become a police officer, one, needs to be increased. So if, if you take anything from this today, I, I believe, you know, police need to go training for through training for, for a, a year, two years, three years, four years, physical, I'm, I'm talking physical training, understanding others they also need to go through psychological training um because they they really need to be better they really need to be better it's not on us it's not on the people it's on them and uh isaiah yes uh 
first, I want to say thank you, Kevin, for allowing me to be on this platform and uh, allow my voice, my African-American young black voice. You want to do more? And I would love to. I would love to. Whenever, just let me know when. Let Jordan know, and I'm, I'm all yours. Got it. Um, but but uh, I definitely think uh, everything you and Jordan just said is, uh, is something that definitely needs to be looked at. I feel as though uh, police officers need to go through um, uh, their training and their, their protocol needs to to be looked at because even though uh, body cams have been enforced, we still are seeing the lack of fundamental, you know, training and uh, protocol that goes into uh, when these officers are arresting and uh, quote unquote subduing or diffusing the situation. Um, It's just not working. What I think some people can do as far as, uh, you know, our generation speaking to our generation, we need to be able to have those, this kind of conversation and dialogue with our peers, um, not only our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters who are in uh, black and African-American, but those who are of different races. So that way we can open a dialogue because uh, change starts at home. Change starts among, amongst our friends and our family members. So I encourage uh, everyone who's listening and, and everyone who's on this call right now to continue to have those conversations with your friends and your family. Uh, thanks again, Kevin. And thanks Jordan for allowing me to be a part. Uh, you, 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 anytime, anytime, honestly, Z. Hey, sure. Thank you, Kevin, again, um, as well. I would, I, I, I felt honored to have a platform to be able to speak my voice and, uh, put my input on where I can on how I feel about my community and what needs to, uh, to change on these matters. I think this is really important. And really quickly, I think the thing that needs to happen now is overall, overall like leadership and discussion within our communities, um, at the local level, at the state level, and uh, as well as at the national level. You know, um, stuff like this, like this is this is not becoming a, another story anymore. Um, this specific case with the George Floyd case is it's it's it's, it's impacting the entire world because the world is listening, the world is watching. It's a um, tipping point. Physically reacting. So I. Exactly. So I, I I think what we you know what we need right now is leadership. We need discussion uh, within our communities and guidance overall. I think those specifics, like you said, you know, different specific reforms on the way we train police. I think that's very very critical and important to the overall solution. Um, but like like a lot of people have been saying, there's more, there's gonna there's more than there's not just one solution. There's going to be various solutions to all all like this overall problem and. And I think um, like it, it, it's harder to implement that specific specific change today, but it's not hard to have discussion today. It's not hard to have somebody stand up and be a leader today. Um, so that's where I stand right now. Absolutely, Nigel. Uh, yeah, just uh, once again, as everyone else is saying, uh, thank you, Kevin, for giving us this platform. Um, you know, as we're saying about change and, and where it starts, it starts right here with shows like this that give people, you know, the opportunity to hear the voices of those affected. Um, and it just, it, it's so important. And I, I will say that just like you and Jordan, I think it, change starts with, you know, the, the, the destructuralization of excessive force and unnecessary force. Chokeholds should not be you know, as you said, should not be uh, uh, something that they you can use and get away with um, more than, you know, more than uh, required amount of people showing, you know, police officers showing up to, te- you know, to take on a, uh, a task should not be acceptable. You know, all it takes, you know, when you when you look at it, honestly, all it takes is one bullet. You don't need 20 people with with, you know automatic weapons 
pointed at one man with his hands behind his back. Um, and similarly to everyone else saying, you know, I think it also starts with screenings. We need to know who's getting the badge. We need to know who we're putting in positions of, of power because that essentially that's what it is. You are powerful, but we need to know who's being put there. You know, this, it starts with the psychological changes and we need to make sure that the people who are being put there have gone through the psychological screenings and, and the tests and, and the training to, to earn the badge. The badge is not something that is just given. It should be earned. Um, so thank you again, Kevin. It's been an honor being on the show um, and hearing everyone else. You're, you're so welcome. And Castile. Hey, okay. Like, just like everybody said, yeah, thank you for this great opportunity. For a lot of us, we don't have much of a platform. We do share what we, when we do have one. And by you giving us a platform, it just helps a lot more. It helps give us a bigger platform to share our opinions and our thoughts on. And just what I think is important to change is just our officers, knowing who they are and holding them accountable. The officer who murdered George Floyd, if I am not mistaken, had 17 different offenses written up on him, yep. complaints. And I believe that just like in any other job, whether it's retail, customer, any form of customer service. If you have more than three complaints, you should, should be gone or it should be investigated more about the specific officer. And I think it's ridiculous that the man had 17 different complaints and he still still allowed on the badge and supposedly protect and serve us. So I think that's something important that should change. And also, as you said, just keeping, keeping the officers accountable and the lack and being able to limit the amount of excessive force using officers, I think that would be very important and very helpful in pushing forward. I appreciate that. We've been talking with Jordan, Isaiah, Z, Nigel, and Castile. They are fine young men. We need to be proud that these kids are growing up in our society. They are going to be the people that are going to change this society. I wholeheartedly wish you guys all the best. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a little, a little applause for being who you are. You guys are just phenomenal, and uh, Jordan is going to. Uh, I'm going to talk with you about uh, setting up another podcast so that we can continue on this theme and continue to make a difference. So, with that, uh, I, with that, I think I've, I've I think I've lost my friends um, um, Isaiah, Nigel, and Castile. So I still have Jordan. Jordan, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we go? Are you still there, Jordan? Uh, no, no. Just thank you so much, Kevin, for allowing me and my uh, my boys to come on here and, and speak to you and speak our piece. Um, and you know, we look forward to continuously continuously raise awareness um, and and hold ourselves accountable for for change. And you keep standing up and talking. People listen to you. You're going to be not only are you going to be a great actor. And not only are you going to be a, a great singer, but you're also going to be a community activist that is going to help our society get over this stupid place that we're at now so that we can all live together in peace, harmony, and love, and all be one. That's that's my goal. That's my hope. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. You have yourself a great day, young man. And we'll see you next time on My Independence Report. 
Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report. Jordan, are you still there?